If you go into a restaurant in California and you order a nice shrimp cocktail and you're willing to pay a lot for it and it's these beautiful, nice shrimp sitting on the plate in front of you, there is a decent chance that it actually came from an illegal fishery in the upper Gulf of California that could be interacting with these endangered porpoise. And we wanted to work with the industry, especially those importing the product from Mexico, to make sure that U.S. consumers were not inadvertently giving a market to this illegal fishery. This is Megan Westmeyer. We met her back in our second episode. She's with Sustainable Fisheries Partnership. That's a nonprofit that works with everyone involved, from the fishers to the processors to the importers, to ensure sustainability. Throughout the season of The Catch, we've been discussing how weak enforcement of maritime law in Mexico has had a number of devastating consequences. This has led to the near extinction of the vaquita and the infiltration of Mexican cartels, as well as the U.S. embargo on shrimp from the upper Gulf that's affecting the livelihoods of local fishers. But there are people working to find a new way to do things, ways to fish legally and without causing much harm, Sustainable Fisheries Partnership tries to create value for this kind of seafood, and it gives their stamp of approval to fishers who are doing it right. So we launched our work with the U.S. importers of Mexican shrimp, trying to address this risk of illegal gillnet shrimp coming into their supply chains. And we had collected some information on the ground in Mexico that showed them that there was a definite risk So they agreed to work with us to pilot an audit process where they would disclose all sorts of information about their supply chain to a third-party auditor. And that auditor could then go look deeply at their paperwork, at their source documents, and try and trace that shrimp back. One of those importers who agreed to these audits is a company called Del Pacifico Seafoods. Their spokesperson, Ivan Perez, says they are committed to fishing sustainably, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's increasingly important for their business. Clients demand sustainable shrimp. So we work with that demand. If they say you need to have this certification, okay, we go for that certification. We work with the demand. That is the principal reason we work in that eco level. That label comes in the form of an official certification from a group called Fair Trade USA. It's one way importers can tout their better practices. And in return, they're often able to market their product at a premium price. Del Pacifico's shrimp, for example, can be found in supermarkets like Whole Foods. But what these eco-labels measure and how they determine whether a company or fishery is doing enough that varies across programs. We work with a gillnet, but we try to do the best practice with these gillnets for avoid the capture to bycatch to other species like uh, vaquita or turtles or other mama. Del Pacifico uses gillnets, and they justify their use by documenting their catch and any bycatch in logbooks. They also document it with GoPro video cameras whenever their fishers throw the nets in the water. And they stay away from the vaquita refuge, they say. The vaquita only live in the off of the Gulf, and we work in the south, and the central south of the Gulf. It's all very complicated. Ivan Perez from Del Pacifico says they do not catch shrimp in vaquita territory. And they're doing all they can do to limit their bycatch. 
but that means different things for different NGO gatekeepers. In programs like the one Megan runs, the Mexican Shrimp Supply Chain Roundtable have strict requirements, including having a third-party audit. Those audits are the real key to the whole system. What these importers have agreed to do is hire a third-party auditor to look at every single pound or kilo of shrimp that they buy, trace it back to its source, make sure all the paperwork is in order, and then also check the gear to make sure the producers are using the right kind of gear and are in compliance with the regulations. Those regulations are so strict that after roughly a year of participating, Del Pacifico was no longer able to meet them. I'm Ruxandra Guidi, and this is The Catch, a series from Foreign Policy. On this season, we're focusing on shrimp coming from the upper Gulf of California. I've partnered with two Mexican colleagues, a journalist and an environmental activist. We've met up with local experts, officials, and of course, the fishers themselves, to see what the pressures are on this fishery and what can be done to protect it from overfishing and illegal fishing. Today, episode five, Pressure Points. We take a step back and look at the entire shrimp supply chain from Mexico, from the seashore to the markets, to see what pressure points have proven effective at promoting sustainable practices and why others have fallen short. I went with my Mexican colleagues, Ernesto and Alex, to see what's working. The wind is hitting hard this morning. It's that nasty noise you hear in my recording. But even though it's windy, this is yet another beautiful day in San Felipe. The sky is azure blue and the sea is almost the same color. We are at the legal dock in San Felipe, where all the fishers with their current fishing licenses go. Felipe Rocha is with us. He's wearing a ski cap and those sunglasses that show you your own reflection. Felipe works for the Mexican NGO Pesca ABC, along with Chalunga, a former fisher. And Chalunga, as you can imagine, is not his real name. It turns out it's a word used to describe someone who's a little gruff. But Chalunga isn't anything like that. Mexican nicknames are too funny. Felipe hasn't been in San Felipe for very long. He is the new field coordinator of Pesca ABC, a Mexican nonprofit that develops and promotes sustainable fishing. Since 2018, Pesca ABC has focused on getting rid of so-called ghost nets, gill nets that have been abandoned on the seafloor in the vaquitas habitat. There are thousands of them, and they can still trap vaquitas. ¿Y qué les ayer su, su paseo a la zona del Felipe asks us about our trip so far, and we tell him about our meeting with the two fishers who had just caught two shrimp. They were very close to the zero tolerance area. Do you remember them? We talked to them in the third episode. The truth is that we haven't seen that much fishing here in the upper Gulf of California during our visit because there's been too much wind. And so I asked Felipe, when does it get better? And he says, this is it. This is the time to go out to fish. Fishing is totally unpredictable. There are very good days as there are very bad ones. On top of that, there are seasons during which fishers should not go out to avoid the overexploitation of certain species, 
And there are quotas set by scientists working for the government that must also be followed. Our visit to the upper Gulf of California is during shrimp fishing season, which began last September and ended this March. We came at this time precisely to see what impacts the U.S. embargo was having on fisheries in the region so we could better understand the vaquita situation. But in Mexico, as in many other countries with a large fishing economy, there isn't that much oversight or enforcement to ensure that those regulations are followed. Often, rules aren't followed, and profit margins for the typical fisher can also be pretty thin. Chalunga tells us about his many years as a fisherman and about how expensive his line of business is. Chalunga tells me how he had to constantly depend on the motorboat mechanics in San Felipe who gave him loans just so he could continue taking his banga out to sea. He got 7,200 pesos, or about $400 a year from the government, but he tells me that didn't even cover 1% of his annual expenses. Today, Chalunga no longer fishes for a living. He works with Felipe on everything that has to do with vaquita conservation. Pesca ABC offers training programs for fishers like Chalunga and has been collaborating with foundations and the Mexican government for five years now to come up with alternative traps and fishing nets. Alternative fishing gear is not known to threaten the vaquita, but it also catches a lot less shrimp than traditional gill nets. Alternative fishing practices are pretty new to this region. There are only three pangas dedicated to this kind of sustainable fishing around San Felipe. Despite this modest start, Pesca ABC is still hoping to grow the program to protect the vaquita. Chalunga maneuvers the motorboat toward the area known as the Polygon, the vaquita refuge at the very top of the upper gulf. The Pesca ABC folks want to show us the work they're doing to try to monitor the eight or ten vaquitas that are left. We anchor inside the zero-tolerance area. Felipe reaches into a crate and picks up a white tube that's about eight inches long. It's a hydrophone, or a microphone designed to record underwater. It is tied to a cable that connects it to a buoy that will float on the surface of the water. He tells us that he will leave the hydrophone there to record for a few days until Felipe and Chalunga can come back to retrieve it. These sound monitoring experiments are organized by the environmental sector of the Mexican government, and they started in 2015. This was the first of their vaquita recordings. You heard it in episode one. They're part of the research that estimates that there are between eight and 10 vaquitas left. In October 2022, for example, the hydrophones captured 19 acoustic encounters with vaquitas in the zero tolerance area. Once we return to the pier, Felipe says he wants to show us another part of Pesca ABC's work in the Upper Gulf. He takes us to a seafood processing plant that they work with, one of several in San Felipe. It's called Real del Mar. Buenos dias. Felipe introduces us to Giovanni Lara, the production manager. He's wearing white rubber boots, a white apron, and a baseball cap. Giovanni takes us inside the plant, to an open room where we see there are few workers today. 
They are standing around two long metal tables. The processing plant has all kinds of clients, but Pesca ABC brings them species such as cod and shrimp that have been caught through alternative fishing gear. Real del Mar sorts, packages, freezes, and prepares them for U.S. consumers. Part of Pesca ABC's mission is to create new added value markets for sustainable fishing. So far, its main exporter is in Ensenada, in the state of Baja California. Giovanni's taking us around, and he's showing us how the workers are storing and packaging the shrimp. There must be about a dozen workers in the room focused on packing the product. But since we're in the middle of the season, they're processing only shrimp today. They clean them, make sure they're all the same size, and separate them to create these bricks, or marquetas, as they call them here, of around two kilos each, or four and a half pounds. They're like ice bricks, all the same size, full of shrimp. And I asked Giovanni if the shrimp is going to be selling in Mexico, and he says, no, it's exported to the U.S. He tells me it's legal shrimp because it was caught using bigger industrial ships and because all these ships have their proper licenses. It's hard to understand what Giovanni is telling me here because there's a lot of noise here inside the plant. But when I ask him where these shrimp or marquetas are going, he tells me the U.S., and he assures me that what they're packing does not violate the embargo because the shrimp was caught with industrial fishing boats instead of pangas. Yet according to the 2020 embargo, every upper gulf shrimp that goes into the U.S. is illegal. He tells me all the shrimp is going to the U.S., specifically California. They also export fish to China or Europe. Upper Gulf blue shrimp are still highly sought after in California, in cities like San Diego and Los Angeles. And clearly, it doesn't matter whether there's a U.S. embargo against them because processing plants like Real del Mar continue to export it. Giovanni takes us to yet another freezer room and gives us three blue shrimp marquetas, weighing four and a half pounds each. So you can take those home with you, he tells us. We figure each one of these bricks of frozen shrimp is worth quite a bit of money. Just how much, we'll find out later in this episode. We put our marquetas in the trunk of the rental car, say goodbye to Giovanni and Felipe, and take off. Ernesto, Alex, and I are a bit confused. The shrimp we're carrying now is supposedly vaquita safe. But is it really? Since the 90s, we've known that gillnets threatened the vaquita. But gillnet use for totoaba, or shrimp, not only continues, it is stronger than ever. Alex Oliveira, our travel partner, has been working on the vaquita issue since 2007. As Mexico's representative for the NGO Center for Biological Diversity, he pushed for the embargo against Mexican shrimp. I involved in 2007 with the vaquita, 
y pues me ha tocado ver como desde que había como 300 en aquella época, ahorita hasta 8 y son reales. He tells me, well, when I started, there were about 300 vaquitas and now there are 8. There have been new rules, new administrations, we've started over, we've changed officials, and we keep taking steps forward and steps back. Alex says that there was hope in September 2020, two years after Andrés Manuel López Obrador became president. That's when the Mexican government finally established the most basic regulations to protect the vaquita. First, it banned all gillnets in the upper Gulf of California, without exception. Then, it established a zero-tolerance area. And finally, it demanded that all vessels must use satellite geolocation equipment. Alex tells me, we believe that these regulations came from international pressure, which is how we got involved. If it wasn't for the embargo and for this pressure, Mexico would not even have these current regulations. Now they need to be fulfilled. Everyone has told us this. On paper, Mexico is doing everything right. The reality is something else. It can be very difficult to understand how complex illegal fishing is here in the upper Gulf. There's a long chain of irregularities that begin offshore and end on the other side of the border in the U.S. In the case of illegal totoaba fishing, This chain ends more than 7,500 miles away in China. It's an international problem that requires an international solution. This is why Alex was such a proponent of the U.S. embargo. But as we've seen, that's only had limited success, which is why he supports other measures. Como ONG, tienes que buscar como como qué posibilidad, qué dónde es tu tu campo de acción, cómo puedes mover el gobierno, ¿no? Alex says, as an NGO, you have to look for any possibilities to see where your field of action is. How can you move the government to do what's right? There were so many meetings that led to nothing. They did not intend to protect the vaquita. So let's look for other types of strategies. In March, Mexico was sanctioned by CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, for failing to protect the vaquita. This ban would cut Mexico off the trade of thousands of animal and plant products that fall under this treaty, things like crocodile leather, cacti, or pet reptiles. It would hit Mexico's pockets in a big way that experts can't yet calculate. Just one of these products alone is a loss of millions of dollars a year in trade deals. Just this past week, as we were finalizing this episode, a reversal came as the Mexican government was able to stave off these sanctions by promising to do more to protect the vaquita and other species from illegal fishing, though the experts we talked to doubt they will keep their word. For many in the environmental community, this is yet another setback. Other issues still loom large, like what about the upper gold fishers? Will the Mexican government finally provide them with alternative fishing gear or subsidies? And what actions might actually save the few vaquita that are left? We'll explore that in our next and final episode. Ernesto, Alex, and I were lucky to be able to eat a lot of sustainable or vaquita-free shrimp during our visit. And it was prepared in every possible way, all of it delicious. One evening towards the end of our trip, 
Ernesto Defroster, two of the marquetas that were given to us at the Real del Mar processing plant in San Felipe. And he prepared the shrimp with butter and salt and put them on the grill outside. I have never eaten so much shrimp in my life. A few days later, Ernesto went home to Mexico City and Alex to his home in La Paz, Baja California. And I went back home, too, to Arizona. But we'd been told that San Diego, California, was one of the main final destinations for Upper Gulf Blue Shrimp. So I decided to go on my own to check it out. I walked into one of San Diego's most exclusive seafood markets, a marina-side establishment near speedboats and yachts that probably cost millions of dollars. In the display case, there were three kinds of shrimp, and one of them, in particular, claiming to be from the upper gulf. Hi there, I'm just wondering about this. Is this what's called the blue shrimp? This Mexican wild shrimp? Okay. It costs $29.95 a pound. Expensive. I thought about asking him more questions. Did they know there's an embargo against upper gulf shrimp? Did they know about the vaquita? But instead, I just stood there awkwardly, and I saw him grow frustrated with my pondering. There was a line of people behind me, so he insisted. So, how many pounds are you going to get? On our next episode, so what have we learned from all of this? Can we save the vaquita, find plentiful shrimp? create good livelihoods for fishers and strong environmental protections all at the same time? On our final episode of The Catch, we look to the future. And believe it or not, we have some good news to share. And that's it for Episode 5 for this season of The Catch. Our show is made possible by the Readers of Foreign Policy, with additional support provided by the Walton Family Foundation. Our production team includes Rosie Julin, Rob Sachs, Maria Jimena Aragón, and Jimena Letgard. Special thanks to our team in Mexico, Alex Oliveira and Ernesto Méndez. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a review and subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Or head over to foreignpolicy.com where you can listen to our other podcasts and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening. I'm Ruxandra Guidi. See you next week.